Welcome to the Sprinkled with Hope podcast. This is Jason. And this is Shane. And it's podcast time. It's Henry Amar. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about confidence. So I have a question right off the bat, Henry. Can you tell us a time when you maybe lacked confidence um, and what you dude, did to overcome it? The story of the beginning half of my life. Um, I used to be, I, I call myself the most insecure person I'd ever known. My nickname was actually passive because I would never want to say how I really felt because um, I cared about, you know, being approved. And so I think a lot, a long time in my life, I lived a life of like, insecurity and ultimately it's fear right fear shows up as fear of failure fear of success insecurity i mean i can go on i have a list of 65 ways as i go around and speak across the world i kind of look at patterns and uh i see what patterns people are running and the root is fear but you know it shows up in different ways and so um in the you know late teenage years i was like man i just hated feeling caged because you know when you lack when you're living in fear you kind of feel like you're in a cage and so I decided to have courage because I, I, you know, I realized courage can become confidence and that's correct. Courage to, to ask the right questions. And so someone put a book in front of me and it just kind of made me realize, wow, like I, I can evolve, I can grow. And so I got on this crazy personal development journey and just ran with it and, um, and went to read every book I could asked people questions to have the courage to like ask people that were confident, like, why are you confident? <laughs> you know? And, um, went to seminars, hired coaches, like did all the things that you could do because I realized, man, if one person is confident, then we're all doing this, you know, we're all, you know, human beings and we adapt. It's just a matter of what belief systems I create growing up or what belief systems I inherit from my family. So um, that, I mean, literally I would walk in a room and just worry what everybody thought about me. Never felt like I belonged in a room that I went into. Um, I always wanted to make like, just share my honest thoughts, but I was always so afraid because I didn't want to be disapproved of or whatever that was. So, I mean, I can, I can, when you ask that question, it's like, wow, like that's like literally I look back and I'm like, I hear stories and I watch videos. I'm like, holy cow. And um, (laughs) that was me, man. I I was very, very, I ran that programming for a really long time. Let's build on that because you started by saying, I don't like small talk. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that. You, You talk about loving yourself and, what are some tips on how you find, how do you do, how are you successful doing that? What things have you found to be successful that you do to uh, adapt that self-love? I just have to say, like, I just almost like was brought to tears because I, I love these conversations because it's such an evolving the self-love journey. First of all, if you're listening, it doesn't start with self-love. It starts with self-acceptance. And for me at the very beginning of it, it was like, can you accept who you are? Like in the tools, the way that I was able to gain that self-acceptance is with meditation. So being able to sit in silence with my own thoughts and understanding that my thoughts are very separate from me. There are things that come and go, but if I start to believe them as truth, which I did, and all these programs that were running since very young, like you're not enough, you, you need to be perfect, all except you can do better, mm-hmm. um, you have to earn love, all of those things, then I start to um, 
feel a certain way. So those thoughts become emotions. Those emotions become behaviors. And then, you know, 30 years later, I've got a life that's constructed based on falsities or thoughts that didn't serve me. So another way that I was able to separate myself from the thoughts and gain self-acceptance is by journaling. So mm -hmm. again, putting the thoughts that I was thinking outside of my head onto a page. Mm -hmm. um, and then what is really powerful um, through journaling is being able to write statements, um, like intention statements in the present tense. So, you know, like, you know, body acceptance has been the hardest part for me. But, you know, through writing statements like, I love and nourish my body, like, mm -hmm. I am so happy and grateful that I am loving and nourishing my body every day. It allowed me to feed my body. It allowed me to, like, get more comfortable with my body. And, um, you know, then there's self-like. Then you start to really like yourself once you accept yourself. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, the advanced stuff, which is really self-love. Um, and... Self-love is very different from self-care, and this is how I'll, this is how I think of it. Is um, self-care is like taking care of like your physical, your spiritual, your financial needs. Like going to get the mani pedi, making sure <laughs> your bank account is you know sorted right. out, all of right. those things, right? But self-love is is not really about those things at all. It's all about tending to your emotional self. So when I'm tending, asking myself, oh man, like what is best, what is best for my emotional well-being? So then my bank account's balanced. Then I'm, you know, then I don't go down to zero. Then I'm eating nourishing foods. Because when I'm really tending to the soul and to like my, you know, the inner child and my beloved, as I call her, then um then all of the other things are sorted out. Then I'm not texting back guys who don't treat me very nicely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the foundation, the relationship that I have and that we have with ourselves, I believe sets the tone for everything in your life. Drum sticks that you were given from your teacher, I, I think maybe there's some value, you know, in you sharing that particular story because I think we that could be a lesson for for all of us for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was the kid in school that always had a hard time sitting still. I was the kid that was always in trouble. I would constantly sit and just tap and tap and tap. Um, holding still for me has never been super easy. And obviously, if you're sitting in a room with someone and they're clicking their pen or they're tapping their foot, that gets annoying really fast. And I got bullied. I got teased. I got nicknames. The people called me the twitcher. I got called the tapper. And I even got sent to the principal's office uh, for not being able to sit still. And the principal's like, just sit on your hands, kid. And that worked for about five seconds. And it just it was continually a problem until one day there was a teacher and his name was Mr. Jensen. And he told me to stay after class. And he pulled up a, a little chair and a big chair and he sat me down and he said, listen, do you know why we're talking? You know why I told you to stay after class? And I said, yeah, it's, it's because I tap. It's because I move. And he said, listen, I, I've watched you. And I know, I know you're the problem. You're the problem kid. You're the kid that everybody talks about. You get teased. You tap in my class. You tap in everybody else's class. You're the kid that got sent to the principal's office two weeks ago because you just can't sit still. 
He said, but it's crazy. As I've sat back and I've just observed, you'll start writing with your right hand. And then literally at the same time, you, you'll move your left hand and then you can switch and you'll start moving your right hand and you can, you'll write with your left hand. He said, I, I think you're ambidextrous. And I'm like, no, I'm Presbyterian. He's like, no, that's not what it means. He goes, listen, he said, can you tap your head and rub your belly at the same time? And I was like, okay. And I could do it. And he goes, can you switch that? He said, can you rub your head and, and, then, and then tap your belly? Can you tap your head and rub your belly back and forth? I could do it without thinking about it. Mm. And he leaned back and he smiled and he looked at me and he said, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And I've always been someone that has believed that a single moment in time can change a person's life. Absolutely. And if you look at, you know, our lives, your life, and what makes it a great story, it's the moments. That's what we remember. We don't remember days. We remember moments, those experiences that were so significant that truly shape our lives. They help us to become who we are, who we hope to be. And in that moment, Mr. Jensen, the, the old teacher, he leaned back in his desk and he opened up the top drawer and he reached inside and he pulled out my very first pair of drumsticks. So awesome. And he put them in my hands and he said, Clint, I don't know what's going to happen, but I want you to just promise me you'll keep them in your hands. And that was a moment. That was a moment in time that changed everything for me. For over 22 years, I've had the opportunity to tour and record all over the world playing the drums and have kept those drumsticks literally in my hands. I've been on America's Got Talent. I've played with some incredible people. I started the first drum line in my high school. I started the first drum line at Utah Valley University. I coached the drum line for, for the jazz. I just won an Emmy Award um, for 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 creation and, and music and directing. And I, it never would have happened without Mr. Jensen. And I don't say all those things to go, oh, wow, good for you, Clint, or what was that like? The reason I say those things is because the value and the importance of good people seeing good things in others, choosing to see the opportunities, yeah. not the problems. Right. I think there's types of people in this world, those that constantly see a problem. You can look at something beautiful and they still say, nah, I don't like the paint. Right. I, I, I don't like how it's, how it sits or the design of that. I like, they always will see a problem. And then there's the people that always see opportunities. Yeah. They always see the good in something. And I think we need more of that in our world today. And really it's, it's a message of being a Mr. Jensen. Yeah. See good. See what's right. See the solution, not the problem. And so I went and I did that. I went back to an agency setting and this was um, like three and a half years ago, um, more than that, that I went there. But I stayed for a bit and it felt great in many ways. And in other ways, I was really starting to feel out of alignment. And at that point, I had been sober. At the point that I got to where I was thinking about maybe leaving, I was 10 years sober. So now I've been 13. I've been sober 13 and a half Congratulations. years now. Thank awesome. you. And that was, you know, a huge part of my personal journey, my spiritual right. journey, my finding hope. I mean, man, it was like yeah. a whole new um, like door of hope opened up in my life where I realized I didn't need to fill this hole that I had in my soul with like external things. I was creating that 
foundation in myself. And so you build on that and you build on that and you build on that. And I got to this place in my career, my professional life, where I was like, I think I'm still trying to fill parts of myself with this professional life, with this persona, with these external things, whether it be a new experience, a title, a certain organization, uh, feedback or confirmation from external sources and people, you know, and I was like, I I think I'm still playing out some of this addiction stuff, like workaholism in an environment that's certainly very like prone to being open to hard workers, you know, and and supportive of that and reflect back that that's a good thing. And I was like, I don't think that this is aligning for me anymore. And I was able finally after 10 years, and I would like share often in 12 step meetings about my anxiety or frustrations or angst or whatever around work. And I was like getting sick of myself. I'm like, (laughs) I don't want to talk. Why, why, why do I keep talking about this? Why is this so triggering for me? Maybe there's another way. And so there was a wonderful sort of confluence of events that created a little catalyst where I could see like, huh, I think what I'm being asked to do in this industry is no longer aligned for me, just in terms of like doing certain roles at a certain speed. And I was like, maybe I should quit. Um, So I, this was like, yeah, three and a half years ago, I resigned. And at that point I'm married and um, our son was seven at the time and living in New York City in Brooklyn not the cheapest place in the world right. <laughs> um, just you know some other things that we had going on in our life and responsibilities make that kind of a scary thing to do for the mind and um, I you know had a heart heart with my husband he saw that I was really like conflicted about this like I clearly wanted to go explore something else and give myself some free space and yet all of the things that we're conditioned to believe about who we are, especially as we might relate to the role of parent, which you guys I'm sure understand. Yep. Um, I read a little bit about your backgrounds. Um, yep. <laughs> responsible adult, um, career path and what we like invested in it. Like there's all this heaviness that we can like start to layer on that make making a decision to explore more freedom and more expansiveness feel really scary and like kind of like irresponsible and oh I shouldn't do this yeah and so we had that conversation and my husband was like I have a feeling like you'll feel a lot better if we just try this and that would like be better for all of us and he's amazing like that you know the, the the constructs of systems and structures in life he doesn't he sees right through them all. He's like, yeah, no, they're not all they're cracked up to be. So yeah. let's not yeah. make our life choices based on what other people say or like sure. good or right. So I did, I resigned and I hired coaches and I'd never worked with like a life coach or just kind of like an overarching like support coach. I had done a lot of therapy in my life. I had done, had a lot of different supports through my sobriety process. So I knew how to ask for help, which was amazing because that's something I didn't know how to do prior to sobriety. I really thought you were supposed to like rely on yourself, like this very like hyper focus on independence, especially in this country, but in lots of other cultures as well, is so detrimental. Like we don't do this alone. We don't do anything. The most successful moments I've had in my life have been co-creations with other beings, like whatever it's been, it's not been like maybe me in isolation coming to a realization and then taking some action. But when I take the action, it usually involves somebody else. Yep. <laughs> and so, you yeah. know, it's like, ah, oh, we really don't do this as alone as we're like led to believe either. And that we like have to figure it out. Alone. Sure. <laughs> 
and that's just, it's just so awful. Um, and so I reached out to two people who um, I had seen evolve and seen grow and seen expand. And they seemed like they were living this pretty like magical moment in their lives. And I was like, I want to work with them. And I saw that they had like launched this new platform and a podcast and I was hearing their interviews and then they had offered, you know, they were offering coaching. So we spoke and they were like, yep, we can help you. And I hired them. And that's a scary thing to do when you realize you're like about to not have a salary anymore. And you're like, (laughs) why am I spending money on myself? That's crazy, right? That also conditioning. Yeah, that seems selfish. And, you know, all these limiting and lack beliefs popping up. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do it just to be in opposition of those limiting beliefs. Like I'm going to do it anyway and like take the risk to my mind and see what comes from this inspiration. Because I did know at that point from all of my years of sobriety that my thinking like left on its own is super limited, oftentimes negative and like and that's kind of scary, like not maybe the most inspired, basically, <laughs> like kind of like limiting with the blinders on. Yeah. Stay safe. Don't do scary things, you know? <laughs> and so I wanted to be inspired. I wanted to be scared and not really like hopeful, joyful, like maybe I don't know. Humble. It's yeah. really the most humble thing to do to try something new that you haven't done before or take in inspiration from another and then like take yeah. some actions and apply that. It's so humbling. You're just like, I don't know, but I'm going to try. <laughs> and then I've almost always, it feels like magic happens. You're yeah. like, oh, oh, that was right there. Yeah. And I say this to clients all the time. So it is like, we've got these like horse lines on, like, you know, when they're in the thing before the race. And if you just take them off, for yourself and not be in fear and you look around the thing that you're like most excited about or maybe want to explore or try is usually right there yeah usually not some like whoa never thought about it sometimes <laughs> so sometimes right. that happens but sure. more often than not it's already a percolating desire that's quite close and it's just in our peripheral vision and if it is then you can absolutely manifest that and get an idea of who Trisha Zodi is on the inside because that's most important, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. You know, just in talking to you before we started recording, I get this feeling and I know Jason would agree that you're a very humble and kind and sincere person. So we really appreciate you joining us. Um, You know, some things that we might talk about today are a little bit challenging for people to um, first talk about and even to hear so we really appreciate you, you and your willingness to do that. Um, what, what sort of got you, you know, to give a little background, can you share with our listeners, you know, how you became a widow and, and why you've decided to share that story with the world? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, um, that's big. Okay, so let's just dive right in. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, and it is interesting. I've, I've started this podcast, um, Another Beautiful Life, for the purpose of getting the story out there. Um, but it's it's not an easy one to tell because it comes with um, it comes with like we were talking about before we started recording. It's just the vulnerability, the the. Uh, um, the choice to say, you know, I've had the struggle in my life. 
um, there were problems, there were issues, and then here are the results. And then now this is where I'm, I'm going with this. And to, to be able to say, you know, all that, like, look, I'm not, I'm not superhuman. I'd love for you to think that I am, but I'm not, you know, falling apart over here. Those, those are, um, those are real things. And so, um, just to tell you why first I decided to do that is because I, I do believe that there are more people like myself that are struggling through things and they're not, they don't feel the freedom to say, I'm drowning. I, I need help. I am, I can't do this anymore. And, um, you know, and then to be able to figure out, uh, have someone come alongside them and support them and help them to figure out how to get out of that pit, out of that hole. Um, and, you know, we all need to do this together. I know there's been a, a huge emphasis lately of uh, mental health. We've been when we, we've been a little bit bolder about talking about that, a little bit more open about talking about depression and suicide, anxiety, panic attacks, all that. Um, and so I'm so grateful for that conversation. But I also found myself in a position where my my husband took his life. And I had a real hard time saying that to the public. I, I would talk about him. He, you know, he died, his death, he died, he died, he died, but I never said he took his life. And that is because I believe there is such a stigma that comes with suicide. And, um, and, and there's so many questions and there's just so many non-answers. We just don't have answers. Um, and uh, and then there's blame and then there's guilt, there's self-guilt. There's just, there's just so much that goes along with it um, that it was something that it was difficult for me to say, my husband died of suicide. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like it's just like, you know, we just need to rip the bandaid off of it. And we just need to just say, hey, this is real because my husband's not the only one that died by suicide. There are many, many others, and especially through this pandemic, we have heard of so many adults and children alike that have, have taken their life because of the stressors and, um, and the isolation and the, um, you know, just in the family situations, you know, uh, and there's just so many different dynamics that have happened here. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I want to be a voice to say, you're not alone. <laughs> Yeah. You're not alone. You're not alone in your struggle. You're not alone, even as one who has suicide ideation. You're not alone, and there are people that care about you. I also want to be a voice for the for the the survivor of suicide to say, you, you know, you're not alone, and and you can do this, and you can. And it's going to be baby steps, and you're going to take five steps backwards and two steps forward, but you can do this, and you can continue moving forward. Um, I want to also have someone that would, would hear that had suicide ideation would hear what it is like for a survivor to talk about what has happened after their, their loved one has died. Um, and not for guilt. Um, but because I, I believe that there are so many elements that come with that. We, we are born with a natural desire to live, right? right. There yep. is inside of us, we have a will to live. That's what God has given in us is to fight for life. And there is something that overcomes 
when somebody at, is able to make the decision to end their life. So something has happened there. So there's so many dynamics of it. And I just, I, you know, I want to explore it. There's not a lot that I understand about it. Um, and I don't think you understand unless you're in the situation and we can't ask you if you've already been in the situation. So, you know, there's just so many different questions, but I want to just rip the, the bandaid off and, and pull back the veil and just say, hey, let's talk about this and let's talk about the hard stuff. 